You have to stop it. We're not stopping anything, Shaw. We're going home. Yannick, if you don't stop it, it won't be your home to go back to. It's, it's carrying death, and it's headed for Earth. Sure, this is not a warship. I know. Let's go. I know that. And you must do it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Frankenstein's Podcast, where it's all about the monster. We're a creature feature podcast about monsters and why we love them. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Praska, and with me is... Your other host, Khalid Hussain. What's up, Khalid? What up, Joe? Welcome back to Xenomania Part 5. <laughs> I've never felt someone count before more than that. <laughs> was, it pal- was it palpable? Yeah, like I could like feel you like in your head going okay that was the first one <laughs> if it helps i thought of like oh there's already been four and this is one more so i did four plus one instead of individually counting so a lot of people go. are like against like pauses and podcasts but i think sometimes a pause can be like very loaded that was a loaded pause in my opinion yeah it's, I'm, I'm keeping it in sometimes if we pause awkwardly i'll edit it out khalid but uh i'm keeping that one in no you better keep it in i i didn't know that was even up for debate yeah uh so i uh how are you doing i'm doing good uh pretty pretty good actually yeah yesterday i went to malibu for the day and that was really cool got some food and then like walked around and got to check out the malibu pier which i didn't even know they had one makes sense though you know they have they have water there they should have a pier to look over said water um that's how those things work yeah, exactly. So, uh, ipso facto, went on went on that pier. Uh, that was cool. Got to see a bunch of people like fishing. Uh, somebody caught like a little baby stingray though, and that kind of bummed me out. Oh, yeah, guy. yeah. You know, it's real in these streets. But yeah. yeah, it was just like a fun little California day for me. It's you know, it's always nice when I get to take advantage of the setting I'm in. Um, what about you? What's uh, what's new with you? What's the haps? Well, uh, things are, are are not cool, I would say, like literally because our AC went out recently or has not been working very well. And that really sucks. Womp, womp. Um, yeah. And I know it's like a privileged thing to say not everyone has AC, but like when I had it and then it goes away, I'm like kind of extra mad about it. <laughs> oh, do you want your children yeah. not to be in sweltering hot conditions, your highness? Like, who do you think is going to come for you? Kinda. Kind of. Are you kinda. worried about people being like you're such a privileged person for wanting AC during a <laughs> sweltering Midwest summer? Kind of. I don't know. It, it got pretty hot today. It got pretty hot. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. You can't handle any more heat. So, no. No. I mean, so yeah, yeah. You're, we're not built for it. <laughs> you're preemptively uh, avoiding any other heat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So that sucks. But I, okay. Although, I, I see it. Yeah. Otherwise, things are good. Yeah. Yeah, otherwise things are good. Got a, a, an announcement for the listeners here. Uh, a couple Ooh. announcements, in a sense. Uh, some exciting updates. Uh, we um, made a website. So if you want to check out, go to uh, www.frankensteinspodcast.com. Uh, and you can check out all our episodes are there, little descriptions. And also has a link to what I'm almost even more excited about, our Patreon page. We started a Patreon after, what, like 68 episodes now? We finally started one. Oh, uh, you know, it would have been cooler. What? If we did it after 69 episodes. 
Ah, oh, man, we should have. Yeah, that was sitting right there, dude. You could have waited was. one more. It was right there. You're right. You're right. No, <laughs> it's okay. It's already in the air now. So fair enough. With it. But got the Patreon. Not much going on there. But uh, we're hoping to think of some ideas to uh, to make it cool. There's only one level of subscribing at this point, just a dollar, and and it's just a thank you. <laughs> so we'll we'll get some stuff up there though. It'll be cool eventually. But you can check that out if you've uh, stuck with us from the beginning or you're a new fan and enjoying what you listen to and just want to help us out because uh, found out websites cost money. Khalid, it's one dollar, you guys. You know, yeah. it's one dollar. Just the next time you're at CVS and they try to guilt you with that, like tip a dollar to this like obscure charity, be like, no, I already did my part. I'm a friend in Stein. <laughs> <laughs> and and walk that's... away. Don't tip it. Tip us. <laughs> yeah. That's... Uh, and, and all honesty, I think I read that like a lot of those are like scams that the corporations run. So. Uh-huh. You know, realistically speaking, if you do donate to that and then you decide to donate to us, like I can promise you we are not in cahoots with Walgreens. We are not. We are not. <laughs> can, can confirm. CBS, yeah. on the other hand, uh, <laughs> we might be, uh, we'll talk to our lawyers. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big TBD on that one. <laughs> TBD on CBS. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, sorry to derail that. Uh, I think the point of what we were trying to say is please donate if you enjoy yeah. uh, banter such as that and any other things that me and Joe might offer you with our fun little show. Yeah, it could be fun. Uh, links will be in the show notes and uh, I'll put in the website, of course. Uh, Khalid, I'm going to tip our, uh, tip our hand right away. We're talking about Prometheus today. I know you usually say it, but, uh, I just wanted to ask you before we dig into the movie and you get the synopsis going, do you know the like Prometheus Greek myth? Um, yes, I do. But, uh, now that you're asking me <laughs> and I feel the fact that we're recording more than any other time, I'm going to not like try to just like pitch it to you. All right. All right. Well, fair enough. Well, Prometheus stole uh, fire from the gods and delivered it to the human to humans. See, and... I knew that. I knew yeah. that. Oh, oh, okay. And I didn't. Okay. Now okay, sure. people are going to feel like I didn't know that and I can't take it. You know what? Sorry. Keep going. Sure, Khalid. We all believe that you know it. I hate we all you. believe it. We I all believe you. it. <laughs> anyway, anyway, as punishment, uh, Zeus uh, condemned him to like eternal suffering where um, he was bound to a rock and then like an eagle would uh, continuously eat his liver, which would then grow back and then an eagle would come back and eat his liver again. So that was kind of his, uh, his like suffering. Um, anyway, I wanted to explain all that to you, Khalid, just to ask you, um, what's the best part of a Prometheus joke? What? The delivery. Because mm, you had to tell us the liver thing for that to even make a lick of sense. Uh-huh. That's pretty good, wasn't it? Yeah. Anytime you have to do like a whole like museum style blurb of trivia for a subject before doing the awkward wordplay, that's that's a good sign of a joke. It's usually a bonus, like it's added content, so it's a bonus of the joke. So it's a good thing. No, yeah, what I like with all of my uh, jokes are homework. So thank you mm-hmm. for that. Yeah, you're um, welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. Anyway, Khalid, what are we talking about today? It's a good segue. No, it's not because I'm I'm boomeranging back real quick. The problem <laughs> with why I didn't know the Prometheus thing confidently is that it's so close to the Sisyphus myth. 
you know? Oh, sure. Yeah. And it's like, okay, sure, like sure, sure. with the Sisyphus thing, it's like he has to push the boulder. And then with Prometheus, he's chained, he's chained to a boulder. It's, all I'm saying is I knew like 85% of it and I wish I could turn back time. <laughs> I feel like you're just digging hard to find like, what do I know about boulders and grief myths? Let's say I was thinking about that one instead. No, 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 no. I that's I promise you that's the extent of my boulder knowledge when it comes to Greek myth. It's those two okay. things and they're okay. too close. Okay, fair. Can you know what? We all believe, all of us believe that you knew it. We oh all totally God. believe it. God, okay, whatever. Moving on. Joe, thanks for asking earlier. Today we're talking about the 2012 sci-fi horror film Prometheus, directed by Ridley Scott. And I've got a synopsis from our homeboy Google that goes a little something like this. The discovery of a clue to mankind's origins on Earth leads a team of explorers to the darkest parts of the universe. Two brilliant young scientists lead the expedition. Shaw hopes that they will meet a a race of benevolent godlike beings who will in some way verify her righteous beliefs while Holloway is out to debunk any spiritual notions. However, neither the scientists nor their shipmates are prepared for the unimaginable terrors that await them. What a monster. They're creatures of the abstract that live off potential energy. It's alive! Thank you, Colleen. <laughs> I, I kind of have like a, a gripe with their characterization of both of them as brilliant young scientists, but we'll uh, we'll go into that later. Um, Khalid, before we dig into the movie itself, uh, I wanted to say that this is gonna this is kind of a special episode. Um, do you remember why? I do. Yes. Okay. Good. Just making sure you're on the same page as me. So for listeners, Khalid and I are going to be chatting about the movie for a little bit here, but then stick around when we're done. And we have a very special uh, interview for you guys. We got to, we got a chance to interview um, Ian White, who is the uh, creature actor who portrayed the engineer uh, in the end of the film. He also uh, was the predator in both AVP movies. He's played a bunch of different characters. We get to talk about all those things. Um, So this might be a little bit of a shorter conversation conversation than most but stick around for that it's a really cool interview and we dig into some of his other character roles too and and uh, of course dig into prometheus so it's a it's a whole lot of fun spoiler alert he is a delightful gentleman he's incredibly delightful yeah yeah i just i just had to go ahead and spoil that for folks who uh might want to know what they're getting into but it's a great interview or if they're wondering if he's like the engineer in real life where he wants to like murder us all he does not he might it was only a 30 minute conversation Fair, fair. I guess we don't know that much. He just doesn't seem like he does. He seems like a nice gen- nice gent. I'm just saying, that kind of naivete is what gets a giant engineer monster to rip your head off in the first place. Fair. And uh, on that point, Khalid, what do you think of this movie? Ooh, boy. Um, this is the movie in the Alien franchise that I'm most familiar with for whatever random reason. Um, as I've said before in other podcasts, I have... List or I've watched Prometheus when it came out, probably in theaters, just around, or at least the timing of its release makes me think I saw it in theaters. And then I've seen it maybe one other time in the year since. And then I ended up for a bunch of different reasons watching it twice for the podcast. So uh, I, I've seen this movie a lot, and I gotta say, this last time really just solidified it as like it might be my favorite in the series. Um, wow! Yeah, I know you weren't expecting me to say that, but like, no, it's just like 
such an amazing movie that works on so many different levels and there's so much to appreciate about it. And that's even before you get to the just 10 out of 10 third act. You know what I mean? Like, it's not even just that like a bunch of stuff gets paid off in that third act. It's that like entire new like plot lines are being created and like directions are being taken. And it's like entirely new information being brought to you in this like, already jam-packed action-packed like moment like ah, man like i think i'm officially ridley pilled uh as the kids <laughs> would say uh this did it for me like i've always heard the hype about ridley scott i've been a fan of his stuff in the past i've always like had like an uh, an appreciation for it but man like after watching the alien franchise up till now seeing what he spawned with like such an amazing vision with the first movie and seeing him revisit that vision and like really elaborate on it in such a beautiful and like impressive way like he did with this like oh i mean i could go on and on but like i and i will uh, as is the point of this but uh i will stop for now at just saying like man like this movie rules i'm so excited to get into the details of it but like yes it is officially my favorite in the series unless somehow the alien versus predator movies (laughs) are just like designed in a lab specifically for my enjoyment that is the only way i could see my rankings changing much it Um, might be (laughs) but yeah joe that's that's my first uh reaction what about you uh i'm i'm surprised but i i'm i'm not in disagreement it's not my favorite of the franchise but i i think i really like it i I haven't seen this movie at this point since 2012 and when it came out in theaters and I went to see it. I remember I remember really enjoying it when I saw it in the theater, but I remember like that enjoyment deflating a bit just given like, you know, discourse from it just being nitpicked to death, just every little piece like people just had all these complaints and problems with it. And then I start to I mean, my life, I've then come to realize that's just what fandom looks like sometimes. But um, I think that that had colored my judgment to the movie for a while. Like I was like, Oh yeah, I guess it's a bad movie, but rewatching it now. I'm like, I actually really, I think it's really good. Like there are some flaws to it and uh, we'll get into some like complaints that I have, but uh, it's such, Oh my God, this and covenant, which I've seen more recently too, is are so beautiful. Like they're so interesting, like thematically rich, um, like beautifully shot beautifully like textured um really well thought out overall um and just like in terms of like a huge budget like blockbuster kind of sci-fi film i know they're rated r but like they're just unique like they're these it's it's not like anything else and i think that's even if you don't like the movie like you got to give it credit for doing those kinds of things like it's 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 a feast like it's a it's a marvel to look at so um, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I really enjoy the themes that's trying to explore. I think that um, I appreciate what Ridley was going for in, in trying to explain a different element of the alien universe. Um, I know he kind of had to tie it back into like the like original more narratives with the with Covenant. And I think that this was like Ridley like unbound, like really going like, here's what I want to like look at. And I think that vision is very fascinating. I think it's interesting to pick apart and there's a lot to lot to dig into there for sure. Hundred and ten percent everything you said, I hard agree, which I'll, half of it was just you agreeing with me, but <laughs> yeah. even so, like that's how much I'm on board with you with this. Like this one was just such a fun ride. I'm very interested to hear 
what criticisms you bring to it. Cause as I mentioned earlier, I am Ridley pilled now. So yeah. Oh, for sure. I, um, I don't, I couldn't say, you know, maybe you can like remind me. Cause like, it's just like, I'm right now I'm in the zone of like singing praises. So I have a lot, I actually have a lot of stuff on it. I don't ever get to all my notes here on this, but um, I guess I'll just get into a few things that I like coming from, ed- from more of a, standpoint of having watched the alien films coming here um having not seen it in a while i remember like a feeling um coming out the the first time i'd seen this we're thinking like charlie's theron was like kind of a villain like an antagonist character and she kind of is like she's waylon's daughter and all that um but i i feel like this time i came away really empathizing with her a whole lot more which i thought was interesting um i found the two scientists so sean halloway Mm -hmm at least in the first half to be a lot less likable than I remembered them to be. Like they're very fundamentalist. Like the, the line where she's like, it's not, it's an invitation or whatever. Like I hated that line, I, but it, it, it it's good. Like it's there to illustrate like where she's at as a character. Like she gets put through the ringer and I think ultimately comes out as a really strong character at the end because of it all. And she, you know, she goes through shit. Um, Halloway, oh, does she? Yeah. <laughs> Halloway on the other hand, like the other guy, like, I, sucks i hated him so much he's such a dick you know like I, I just, he they they cast the perfect guy i love him whenever he shows up and stuff because like he can do some st- like really hateable stuff and pull it off right like yeah no disrespect to the actor at all i like, can fact testament to him but like oh man he's a yeah and that's that credit, was what I, credit to him when when the jig was up yeah he did what a lot of people in the alien franchise just refused to do a lot of, and I wanted to bring that up. Like this movie is big on a lot of people that stepped up, you know, Mm -hmm. we don't see that a lot in movies. And I think it, there's a certain cynicism to it that like, I really like that this movie kind of pushed back on. And that's also another thing is like, this was the rewatch that really turned it for me. And like, I realized probably because I was so much more in, uh, attuned to the the uh the music the score yeah. is like really inspirational in this movie the score is-, is super good like i really love them there's actually a fact i got the music so mark uh streitenfeld was the composer he actually had the orchestra play the compositions backward and then digitally reverse the compositions for the final film because he wanted it to sound unusual right yeah which he kind of like there's an inspirational element to it but it does feel a little unsettling at times and i think that like fits with the the vibe of the movie overall well it like borderline felt like jurassic park which i think is like (laughs) a smart move in their part like to draw that illusion you know what i mean like there's so many parallels there about this idea of like the ethics of how far you can go with science and the hubris of thinking you have control over a situation that is uncontrollable like there's so many parallels there that like hearing that like swelling inspirational like score as like you're watching these people in like what is at this point like the eighth ninth movie in Mm -hmm. a franchise that like kind of lets you know everybody oh are you a scientist are you on a spaceship you're dead like uh it, it 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 rejects all of the stuff you would assume with that and it still like gives you something to like kind of like feel for and really like go in those moments and so like those sacrificial parts feel earned they feel real they feel like great and um i think that's the thing is like watching this kind of on the heels of alien resurrection really Mm -hmm. showed me like why ridley scott's kind of like in a 
like league of his own, you know, like it's hard to, <laughs> it's really hard. And it's like, no disrespect to like French director guy and Joss Whedon, like they had a distinct vision and they went for it all, like all intents and purposes. We set our piece on that, but like coming off the heels of that, watching this man, like this is like, that to me feels like I'm watching like somebody who like, is a fan of like genre is a fan of like comics or like <laughs> stuff like that is a fan of those things. I'm watching him like, kind of like it felt like alien fan fiction for lack of a better word. And this, resurrection definitely does. Like it feels so removed from everything. Exactly. Like it feels like almost like what you wish the characters would do because you love them so much. And it's like, okay, but like, that's not what you loved about them. Mm. <laughs> Anyways, this feels like i mean and the fact that it is in a lot of ways its own thing the fact that it is like kind of like one step removed from the alien franchise in its own way like i love it that's like such a baller extra step to like kind of like half in and half out it and still turn out such a like moving piece of cinema which is like my the point i'm trying to get to here is like when you're just a fan of something like a lot of times you'll just get like the spectacle and like you can get the spectacle down but it's like that stuff that like really makes you like sink your teeth, like the things that like make you like proud to be a nerd. Like that's where like guys like Ridley Scott come in and really like show you like why being a fan is like worthwhile. Cause then you get like a whole like second, third act. That's just like back to back to back, like mind blowing, like iconic hall of fame, sci-fi horror imagery. Yeah. No, can't couldn't couldn't say about it myself. Good, Sorry, good I went off on a little <laughs> bit of a rant there. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. I mean, that's what podcasts are for, right? Yeah. Sorry, I just oh, man, I it was it was just so fun to go <laughs> over this one again with like the context of okay. Let me just ask you, like, what do you think about like? Because you know we've seen it a few times now, just because reboot culture is the way it is. You know where like you get the creator who made the thing big in whatever decade to come back and like it's uneven results. Usually, obviously I think we're on the same page that this is successful, but like, yeah. do you want to like explain why for you it was a success? Like seeing like Ridley kind of revisit this thing that he already kind of spoke with, but like now he's got all the money and like all the technology to like really do it. And like what that says and what that like, I guess I'm asking like, how does it hold up with like alien to you? That's a good question. I think a big part of what works for me is the horror of it. Honestly, like it, I'm, I'm a noted sci-fi fan. I'm a noted horror fan. When those two intersect, it could be not great. It could be awesome. And I think that Ridley does know this like really specific like formula to make that work so well. Like, the the buildup of this like uh, like you said this kind of optimistic hopeful music and this hopeful idea of like oh i believe it to be true like these kind of attitudes which like again like i found like annoying in the beginning it just serves it like serves everyone up to fall so much harder you know like that uh that like horror of it like the idea of the the hubris like we're we're we that we feel like we mean something to these engineers that created us but we mean nothing to them is a truly terrifying concept that's actually interrogated really really well in the movie like literally swatted away like flies you know like i mean but that's the whole thing is like yeah. it's this idea of like the parents are always narcissistic to the child and uh -huh. like they ignore their needs and it's such a fascinating thing that they just like 
and he doesn't hammer it in. Like it doesn't feel like belabored to me. I don't know. People could push back on it. Maybe it's like I'm just like got rose colored glasses from my last watch. <laughs> Like, yeah. I feel like when I'm watching it, like, I clearly understand what he's trying to say without it feeling like it's being preached to me. It's just very, like, and it's like, it's, it, we live in a very technologically privileged life right now, you know? And, like, we have so many things at our disposal. Our phones have the comp- computational, like, ability to do so many amazing things. And, like, most of us, like, abuse it. Like, we, in a lot of cases, resent it. Mm-hmm. And we don't use it to, like, further our potential the way we could. And it's like, we all have Alexas and shit like that. And what do we do? We like teach our kids to like add stuff to grocery lists. Like we're (laughs) not, we're not revolutionizing anything with these like uh, devices. We just take them for granted and like imply that everything's like a burden as opposed to like, we are capable of miracles. No, it's all about us. And like what our past says about us and looking backwards and looking literally any other direction than like progress. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, I think, and maybe I'm wrong or maybe I'm just like noticing, like, I feel like one thing that maybe I think that the original has down slightly better than this is I think that both the original and the Prometheus and Covenant to some extent, because they're so intertwined, um, bring the horror and have strong themes. Both, both of those are true, right? Um, I would say that I think that the original's intertwined story and theme in just such a more like seamless way where I would say, I think you can make the argument that in this movie theme might be more important than story at time. And I think that can be a small criticism. And that's what I think some people get frustrated with when certain people make bad decisions that's in service to that hubris theme, you know, like, but like, you know, you could pick apart that a little bit, I think. And I, and I feel like that could be one way where you could, you could maybe say that, there's a flaw there you know what i'm saying no yeah and i'm fully willing to cop to making prometheus my number one ranked in the alien franchise is not a popular take uh i i I accept that but (laughs) um i you know to to the haters i say which one had the hotter cast you know (laughs) (laughs) like I'm just saying, you know, we got we got Charlize doing push-ups, and then we got what is it, friggin' uh, Bilbo Baggins, just like <laughs> drinking milk in the corner. Like, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know, man. We don't. I don't think we want to toe for toe that that cast. Yeah, uh, fair fair point. Fair point. <laughs> but I think I I didn't know if I finished my point earlier about like Charlize, like. She, she, yeah, she's meant to be an antagonist, but I kind of agreed with a lot of her decisions that she was making, you know, like, like she was annoyed with her father. I mean, the keeping the secret thing sucked, but like she was instantly like, no, flamethrow this guy. He can't come on the ship. And like, I feel like people were like, no, like we can fix, we can do it. She was, she's a hundred percent right there. Like everything she was saying was right. When they were like trying to push back on like when she was like, oh yeah, we're going to take over everything with like findings here. And they're like, oh, and it's like, oh, I'm sorry. Did you spend $11 trillion to get to this planet? (laughs) Like, yes, that is such a great like put down shut up like you just got a free ticket across the universe calm yeah. down <laughs> and she's like a skeptic like which is fair i think 100 percent fair to be a skeptic like it's you know like i don't like, think oh. it's fair to be a skeptic and i'll tell you why it's because 
And, you know, with all the headlines coming out with like the guys in the submarine and stuff like that and like mm. foolhardy voyages and stuff like that, I just think that like you better be more than 50% sure that like you're going to find something if you're going to go 3.27 <laughs> times 10 to the 14th power kilometers away from the earth. But counterpoint, nobody else knew why they were there. That's also insane to me. I don't know if that's a counterpoint. Like that's also if anything, that's a subpoint for me. Subpoint, don't go into a space coma and just let them take you wherever and then give you the orientation when you're there. Like, what are you gonna say? No, just get thrown into a coma and just wake up at the next job? Is that how jobs work in the future? So here's here's the thing. Okay, this is what I think people picked apart with Prometheus was uh, a, like a storytelling device called like the idiot plot, right? Where characters have to make stupid decisions to make the plot move forward, right? That's in every movie really, but like in some movies it's more than others. And a Plausible lot of people- deniability is also another name for it. Yeah, yeah. That's probably a nicer way to say it. But um, a lot of people pick this movie apart saying that that's a huge thing. Like, like the certain, like the scientists don't act like scientists or- um, making making bad decisions, taking their helmets off, even though it was like fine. That ultimately turned out to be a fine decision. Like, um, it's. I think that's an interesting criticism, and I and and I think it's fair to some extent. But I think that you also have to ask yourself, like, go back to Alien and what the company is asking, what the company makes their employees do, right? Like, they don't really have a choice in a lot of these things, and I think ostensibly all these characters. Except oh, for maybe Sean Holloway, for the record, company scientists like they are employed by Wayland Wayland at this time, not Wayland Utani, and they're like, "This is our job. We got to go on this thing, right?" They're gonna and and even if they're bad scientists, like think about like a corporate scientist for an oil company right now is gonna say and do dumb shit because that's their job, you know, like probably not the top of the line there sometimes, you know, like I think that's that's a fair like point to make, and again, like. I, I I like I combed through like forums a little bit to try to find criticisms to see like what people had talked about. I just want to like, say this was not a criticism on my part. This was very much like I that's why I brought up the submarine. Like we have yeah. real world examples of people doing dumber things than right. Like, I was going to say like, in this I, movie. like I feel like that element is actually getting re- more and more realistic. Like it's always could, been realistic. <laughs> True. You're right. They, you're right. You're right they, that, yeah. Those people died on the way down to Titanic, a ship whose captain said was like, oh, God yeah. himself couldn't sink it. You're right. You're right. Both. <laughs> yeah. Both. Of, yeah. You were absolutely right. And I think another <laughs> element of that, too, like we've seen billionaires just finance like space stuff a lot. Like that's going to happen like for thinner reasons than this, you know? If you don't think Jeff Bezos is going to have a bunch of like Amazon employees sign mm-hmm. a contract saying that he can do whatever to them in space, like for exchange for a seat, like yeah. if you don't think that's coming, <laughs> yeah, no, I I think you're right. I mean, I I I feel like the few other like critiques I'd seen was like the the biologist guy like being so interested in touching that like snake creature. Um, that shit was so funny though. It was like, a very funny scene, yeah. I don't know. And for me, it's like, again, it's like suspension of disbelief. You know, like you want a movie to happen a certain way. And like, that's the thing is like, Ridley Scott knows how to make movie moments mm-hmm. happen. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, like whimsy and stuff like that. It's like, for the, first of all, that's the first time you see an alien. And like, you think just based on like your dumb history of like snakes or other animals that it's like uh, most likely harmless, but at least like not like the most like lethal thing. Nothing in your mind could prepare you for what that creature was going to do. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like it would have been an overreaction to act like that before the monster had acted. So mm-hmm. I don't even get mad at stuff like that. And I don't know. It's like, I, like, sure, these are all criticisms that I can find valid in one way or another. Like, it can kind of bug you if you allow it to. But I just feel like, one, real life is so much stranger than fiction nowadays that it's really hard for me to, like, fault any movie for just, like, kind of cutting mm-hmm. a corner here or there to get us to the good stuff. But I don't know more than that, man. It was just like, it's just like when it's executed this well, like how do you not forgive it? I'm, I, I'm on your side with it. Like, honestly, like I'm having a lot of fun watching this movie. Like it's intense and, and, and good and a good watch. Like, I mean that scene, like even he was being an idiot, like led to a pretty like great, you know, Oh my god! Effect, death scene, right? That was intense. So many um, cool moments with the arm, like yeah, he's breaking up, oh. he's breaking my arm. Like that reminded <laughs> me of uh, <laughs> Talladega Nights. But <laughs> 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 Sasha Franco has got his. Arm. He's like, just say you like crepes. And he's like, I won't break your arm if you say you like crepes. <laughs> nope, break it. Just break it. <laughs> oh wow uh, so no that was amazing um and then, then uh the acid the acid blood when mm-hmm. it like that was great through the guy's helmet and melts his face and he dies that way and it's Oof. like uh like and it's i feel like it just gets back to the basics of what's great about the alien it's like you don't need the bells and whistles it doesn't need to be like 60 feet tall it doesn't need to be half sigourney weaver like it's just you you put too many bells and whistles on this thing and it's just like what what are we doing here you know mm-hmm. and this movie really just like flies in the face of that goes back to the basics and shows you exactly what we loved about it in the first movie by like making the weakest version of it still the most terrifying thing you've ever seen cuz like it like I really love how they see that with like the idea of like this like liquid basically being like I don't even know what that is. It's like uh it's like the atom bomb equivalent of like a germ warfare. Like one mm-hmm. drop of that thing can like alter the DNA of everything ever, I guess. I don't know how you make that in a lab, but please don't. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> So then, yeah, that thing gets into the ground and then like the worms that are native to that planet, which is like already like probably still a big deal. Those are aliens. Those aliens that they never even got to be like get freaking symbioted into giant aliens, worm things. And oh, like it just I love the world building. It's so intricate and thought out in this. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Um, you, I think, what do you no. think? <laughs> I do think sometimes. Um <laughs> I think that's a good like a good point to like kind of talk about some of the like at this point in a franchise like there is a strong canon and like this makes a lot of canon implications like you're saying for world world building like we learn a lot about like the space jockey engineer how it's intricately connected to humanity and the aliens whereas like in the original you can imply that that was all random chance um the black goo bioweapon which I think is gets it gets a name it's chemical like a O three nine five nine X point nine one dash 15 in EU stuff like uh, it's in the universe stuff. It's also just called the mutagenic mutagenic pathogen. Um, that's all like interesting stuff. I think the black goo, um, I feel like people there are, I've seen people online, like kind of treated almost like the midi chlorians thing where it's like, Oh, it's, you're giving this like explanation thing, but I like the black goo. And I think that uh, I'm reading some of the books now, like, and they've taken that, uh, that concept and like really dug deeper into it and like see and, and showing what it can do. And like, it's a really interesting, like 
uh, element to the to the world and to the universe. I think it can, it, it, like you said, like it, it it takes like gives us like creatures that may not be quite the xenomorph that may be weaker, but they're still terrifying. And, it, and like it just it it actually helps build back up the xenomorph in a way that I think, like you're pointing out, in Resurrection it was torn down a little bit in a sense. Well, it's, um, I love it because it's kind of just like doing what the rest of the movie is doing, where it's mm-hmm. like it, it's all it's all such a comp like a uh, commentary on prequel culture too. You know, just yeah. this idea of like, oh, yeah, you want to keep looking back. You want to keep asking like, oh, yeah, like what did Batman's dad do for a living? Like what did what did Batman's butler do before he was <laughs> Batman? Like, you know what I mean? Like we keep asking these questions and like really Scott's like, OK, yeah, what came before the alien goo? Like it's like <laughs> super, goo. super goo. Like, yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> like, and it's just <laughs> like I love it because it's like simultaneously flippant, but also like in world makes so much sense. It works. I mean, and they do, they do cool stuff with it. Like the, yeah, the mutations are interesting. I like that David's trying to like, we see the seeds of David's story, like where he's going, like Halloway is such an ass to him. Um, I'm like, almost don't feel bad that he got infected with the thing, but like, yeah, David, like choosing to infect Halloway with the black goo. That was, I thought that was a really, I feel like when I first saw this, I was kind of like, why did he do that? Other than just the fact that he was a dick to him. Um, I think it worked really well because, uh, I think if Halloway saw him do that to anybody else, he would be okay with it. Kinda. He was but, that faithful to it. But there was the um the line that Halloway had was like, or like David's like, why would you? Why did your uh, your people create my androids, my race? He's like, because we could, or whatever. Like this flippant, like asshole response. And I feel like, oh, and then I mean, David's response. Do you have that down? Yeah. Uh. He, yeah. He was like, how you know how would how basically He's, how would you feel if you if you met your makers or whatever and they, their response was that which it basically is well he says it can you imagine how disappointing it would it. be to hear that from your creator yeah oh. that's a, such a good line and i feel like right then like is all the confirmation he needed to just do that to him like because he could right why not yeah. i think that that like thematically like that tie there together just was was actually really well done well i just i don't know i feel like and it's just like so great because like you can take the whole like message of the movie especially with the ending and like how the engineer like basically like kills everybody that like (laughs) like their entire life's work was like proving he exists and like hoping it would validate them in some way and like the way he treats them um and the fact that like by the end of it like the hero shot is the xenomorph you know what I mean? It's the one creature amongst all of them that doesn't have like daddy or mommy issues. <laughs> My daddy yeah. is goo. My mommy right. is goo. Goo. I, I I am a super weapon and all I can do is like think of ways to kill you and that's what I'm going to do. Like like that's what makes like and it's like is everything about humanity that like simultaneously makes us great also like our biggest liability. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. our, like the thing that like makes us sentimental and makes us feel like we have any kind of like relationship to the universe that we need to interrogate. Damn. Khalid, you're really on at this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the trick is I need to watch a movie four times over 10 years. Yeah. And, and then, you're then just I like, can discuss it. <laughs> you're in it. You're in it. Yeah. I don't know, man. Again, um, like I'm Ridley pilled. Like this is what, like, a, like, I'm sorry, but like that Bruce Willis movie we saw is not going to get me talking like this. <laughs> I mean, if you watched it three more times, if you, if you went back to it, I don't know. I, yeah, I'm calling my shot like Babe Ruth and saying that that's never going to be the case. Shout out to our breach episode. Go back and listen to that one, everybody. Or don't, or don't take a word for it. <laughs>
Um, I also, so I also want to talk about just in terms of like canon implications. So like the the, the moon that they're on, LV two two three, was supposed to be one of the three moons from on uh, around this uh, system, this gas giant uh, Calpamos. Uh, LV four two six was one of the other moons. I think in other canon material they've said that it's like there's three moons there, so it's close to where the other uh, the first alien takes place. Um, it's supposed to be a bioweapon construction site for the engineers. The, the engineers. We also meet Peter Wayland in this movie. Uh, that is an interesting element to it. The makeup process. Guy Pierce apparently took five hours every day, every, an hour to remove it. But what do you think of Guy Pierce having to do like old man makeup? Um, I liked it, but I'm a much bigger fan of his previous work advertising for the uh, Midwest amusement park chain Six Flags. <laughs> okay. no it was i I really really like waylon as a character i think that guy pierce was a weird choice i say just like get christopher Plummer at that point yes that's what i said khalid i don't know it's like you're gonna like spend this much money like putting christopher Plummer makeup on an actor just get christopher Plummer. yeah christopher Plummer would have been great in the role too I think it was like fun for Guy Pierce. I can't say that as an audience member, like we, I got this, like sometimes an actor's having more fun than the audience, you know? Yeah. Well, he did like supplemental materials where he's like young Wayland and he had that, he has a scene in uh, covenant as well, where he's young Wayland. You just so, like, cast a young actor. I don't know what to tell you. I, like, I, it's a, it's a choice. It's an interesting choice that they went honestly, through all that. Technology has gotten to the point where de-aging looks realer than aging makeup now. Uh, kind of does. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think that was true at the time though. Fair, fair. Yeah. Anyways, um, I liked him, uh, Peter Whalen, as a character and what he does for the story. And I think it was a great idea to take this thing that in the franchise up until now has just been this like abstract, uncaring, evil and like oppressive force and just making it a person, making it a Mr. Burns ass piece of shit old dude who... You know, like, I don't know if any listeners out there can relate to like this idea of like a whole generation of people that just like refuse to die or like seed power and like will slowly go into dementia and like take us all down with them. But that really resonated with me this time. And I'm oh, yeah. in the same way that you said you were on Charlize's side. I'm on Charlize's side. Like, move, move. <laughs> you did it, man. You, 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 you have a. If you have enough money to fund a cross galaxy expedition, you made it as far as I'm concerned. Like step aside, let somebody else take a crack at it. Um, and I just I love that they that they created that as a character and like a point of tension for everybody. And, and it's like he works so well in that way that he is not even in the movie for most of it. And there's still a tension from it. And mm-hmm. And it's such a cool little piece of sci-fi how they keep him involved and how they keep that tension, especially with Charlize and uh, Fassbender's character, where somehow androids can communicate to you via dream. I don't know if that's ever been like (laughs) canon in the in the alien universe but if not like that is a such a fantastic like cool little detail to add yeah side note did you did you uh realize uh shah's dad was a patrick wilson yeah i did that was like yeah with her dream and like the malaria or whatever yeah that surprised me 
that did surprise me too, but like, not like, what? You know, it's Patrick Wilson. Like, he shows up sometimes. He just does. That. Yeah. He's, I guess he's bigger now than he was then too, but yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not like it was like Brad Pitt or something. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it could have been. Yeah. Like, I, he, that, that kind of information gets like a hump from me. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Okay. So I wanted to talk a little bit, um, before we move on to, uh, some themes and then the monster of it all, uh, there was this, the script for this went through a lot of rewrites. And so there was like a kind of an entirely different movie that was almost made before this came to be. Um, so the writer, John Spates, I believe is still credited on here, but he wrote the original draft, which would have been titled alien engineers, um, which I'm going to say I kind of I like Prometheus as a name, but I kind of feel weird a little bit about how like all the films like Alien, Aliens, Alien 3, the naming conventions of the whole whole film series doesn't make any sense to me. Right. Fine. I don't care. But it's kind of like my problem with like like the 2009 Star Trek reboot, which wasn't a reboot. It was still like in continuity. Right. But it's just called Star Trek by itself. And where it should be like a Star Trek 11 or given like a subtitle, like naming conventions. It, it, it bothers me a little bit that like we went alien resurrection, just Prometheus by itself, then alien covenant. They're just like, I don't know. That means nothing. It's super trivial, but like, I almost kind of wish it had the alien subtitle. And I'm just going to say that that's all I want to say about that. Do you know the naming convention of the fast and furious movies? I, yep. And I don't want to, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I was going to say, man, if this bugs you, <laughs> Nope. Uh, I, I don't know. I can't speak to this movie and why the na- names are like that for this, but I do know in the fast movies case, it's uh it's a rights thing where like one of the guys who made the very first fast and furious movie, like part of one of his deals was like, I get a huge cut out of any movies called fast and furious two, three, blah, blah, blah. Like, hmm. so that's why like from the second one on they're nonsensical titles. No, I'm yep. and, still hate it. And still hate you, it. And you suffer. That's yeah. the that's the takeaway. That's the takeaway. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, in the original Alien Engineers uh, script, the ship would have been called the Magellan, and they would have been going to LV four two six, so where the original Alien takes place. There were some plots that were similar, like there were the 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 idea of examining the engineer head would have been a kind of a larger plot. Uh, that was the, so cool. That was super cool. The Fifield and Milburn characters would have still gotten lost in the structure and attacked. But in this draft, uh, Charlize Theron's character Vickers would have been leading the team to for the company to get alien tech. Like that would have been the ulterior motive there. And Halloway would have wandered around kind of like an idiot and gotten infected by a face hugger. And he was supposed to eventually have a chest burster and birth an alien creature that kind of, I think, the set uh, behind the scenes, they nicknamed the beluga alien because it kind of looked like a beluga whale head. Mm. Um, and that design, you can like Google it. It's it actually was repurposed in some ways for what the, we get as the neomorphs later in in Alien Covenant. Uh, they're, they're smaller versions of it, but kind of that like white, almost like goblin shark esque thing was kind of what this alien would have looked like in that original script. So some uh, some differences. I, I thought that was kind of interesting. I mean, I, there's a world I can see like a direct seek, like prequel to alien and like them going to the home world and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I can see that being more satisfying for viewers just to like kind of marry it. But like, I love this like messy, uh, like semi canonization that Prometheus has. Yeah. I'm kind of okay with it not being the same place as the original movie. Like I like the implication that there is other spots where things are happening. Yeah. And a lot of crazy stuff goes down. Exactly. 
Um, right. One regret is that like there's just never a scenario where where Ripley and Charlize's character get to interact. That would be cool. That I mean, is they were like they would they would have been perfect. Like they would have played off each other so well. I mean, they established cloning, so I guess anything's possible. Oh man, Charlize clone and Ripley clone mm-hmm. just arguing over who's got authority. I'd watch it. <laughs> I would too. Yeah. I mean, well, of course we would. <laughs> um, there is kind of a cool like aside extended universe thing there's a big follow-up like comic book crossover that like dark horse comics made after prometheus came out prior to covenant so i think that maybe it's like not it's not like it's harder to justify canon i don't know i haven't read it yet but i want to um but there's a series called fire and stone and it's followed by life and death and there was this big crossover with like four issues that were like prometheus subtitled four issues that are alien subtitles four that were predator subtitled and four that were like alien versus predator subtitled and they all like came together to form like one big story that was kind of basically just meant to follow up like the threads that prometheus was exploring and bring in predator with it too and i thought i'm i'm intrigued to see like how that was done i don't know what the reviews were but uh i did google the comics and like the collected editions are like 300 dollars, so they're definitely out of print whoa yeah so it'd be it'd, I, I wonder if it's like a digital version you can get hopefully sure but I, I i thought it was interesting to note that that's kind of like another follow-up to prometheus um anyway uh themes of the movie that i think stood out a lot like we had definitely like greek mythology allegories religion faith the intersection of science religion relationship to our gods our creators mortality of course creation is corporate financing billionaire financing space mission out of vanity kind of stuff what theme do you think khalid was the most prominent or for you the most important for you that you pull from this the most prominent theme that i pull from this movie um, I guess faith is probably the thing that they like really hammer in and like what like faith can inspire you to do, but can also kind of, um, limit you from achieving, you know? Yeah. I guess. Yeah. The strengths and limitations of faith. Um, and I think it's, I think it's a very worthwhile thing to talk about. Like I'm always down for it. Like I love Kevin Smith's dogma, even though it's an imperfect film, just because like ruminations on faith are never not fascinating to me. And it's like, you think about the world and it's like how much of it you can directly point to where like faith was the reason that something horrible happened. And just as many things where something beautiful came of it, you know, like so many like tributes to like faith in the world that like exist because of it. And you know, it's 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 hard not to like really let the message of the movie in that regard sit with you when you really think about like what Waylon represents, you know, because like we can go, oh, he's a Mr. Burns type villain. Like that'll never be any of us. But the truth is, like, we are doing the Waylon thing in some way or another every day in our lives. We are taking something for granted in pursuit of what we think we want. And <laughs> And it's and it's simultaneously what makes us great and suck. And it's like such a messy, fascinating thing to look at. And I just I love that as a as a uh, I love that in this movie as a think piece. Uh, what about you, Joe? Yeah, that was well said. Um, I think that I would agree with you. That's a huge piece of it. I did want to just kind of give some, I guess, lip service to the creation and meeting the creators element of it. I know that's like a huge part of the horror of it and like the kind of the crux of the plot and like what set everything moving. But I think like when you add the element of like David and his, his interactions with humans, his actual interactions with Wayland and Vickers, even like those, like 
different tiers of like creation and creator or creators and creations uh, is really fascinating. And I think I want to think about that in like particular with the the creature that end up inside of Shaw, right? So she does have a scene where she says, I can't have kids. What does that say about me? Or I can't have children or make a person. What does that say about me? And that's a really small scene, but a really like touching scene, I think, and a really like revealing scene about her and kind of things that drive her. Um, but there's a deleted scene that uh, it's revealed that Shah's mother died during childbirth. And I think that gives just a just a, a stronger weight. Uh, I was talking about this with my with Nicole, uh, wife and Steve. parents. Yeah, well, I think she, the mom's not there, but we were talking about this and um, she was kind of saying like this, that feels like a, a scene that gives so much more weight to the horror that she feels when she gets when she finds out she's pregnant from Davis, who's like, just like, oh, you're pregnant. Hey, and she's just like disturbed, you know, like for well, that's what's reasons, crazy but- is like in a franchise filled with disturbing, for lack of a better word, insemination. Mm-hmm. That is one of the worst. To fully incubate one of these things, not even just have it like nest in you like a dead animal. Yeah, but right, but like that. I mean, even just like the first like word of like you're pregnant like is horrifying to her before she even knows more about what's happening. Like, and I think that adds so much weight to it. But like, uh, like that's just like another like cog in that piece of like creation creators. What you know making something or making somebody that's just so fascinating and like how they flip that and just make it such a horrifying thing or like such a messy thing. Um, Yeah. Like that clinical, like just like disgusting feeling of it all. Like Mm -hmm. just like the violation, how uh, the, the complete lack of bedside manner that uh, Fassbender's David is offering to (laughs) literally the last thing he says as she's about to pass out from like anti whatever's that he gave her uh, is I watched your dreams. Right. So (laughs) creepy. So creepy. That is the last thing she heard before losing consciousness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Definitely motivates her to like wake up and like go hard though i think and it's just like yeah man that's the ridley scott effect though like there's like so many things happening in that scene and they all like work and build off each other so brilliantly it's saying so much and it's doing it with like the right amount of like force yeah and and i just feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the like the med pod scene for her like oh (sighs) god like it's so disturbing and terrifying in just so many levels like my notes for well done for as an actor though my notes for this watch through like it's literally like three or four like thoughts and then like that was a cool scene that was was iconic scene oh my god what face melting like just like i just kept saying the same thing over and over again because like that's just like how when you're actively paying attention to this movie like scene after scene and like appreciating what he's trying to do you're just like Sorry, I'm wondering. I'm not, I'm, I am not an eloquent person. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering if this is like your like, favorite movie in the franchise. Is this your favorite movie in general? Almost. Ooh, it's definitely the movie that's like energized me a lot, a lot more than most recently. Which was like that was a fun surprise. But yeah, I'm not. I don't know if I'm ready to say my favorite movie of all time. But <laughs> yeah. I, I am very, very excited to do a Ridley Scott deep dive with like this newfound appreciation. You know, mm-hmm. like see the oh, stuff yeah. I have seen before, rewatch it, and like the other stuff I haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. Also, I don't even think we mentioned Idris Elba is in this movie. 
it, this cast is so stacked. They're all so great. But yeah. I'm going to say it like he might take the L even though, like he even though he contributes a lot in terms of like greatness in the movie. He mm-hmm. might take the L for that accent choice. Oh, the accent was weird. I do think his character was really good, though. It's like a it's like a cockney southerner. Like, yeah. that's what I clocked it as. Like, yeah. His like British accent peeked through quite a bit. It was very funny. It, it was all over the place. Yeah. But I did like his character, like his. Like when she's like, when he confronts Shaw at the end, and and she's like, "Don't you want to know what they see? They say," and he's like, "I don't care." <laughs> like that was yeah. great. No, yeah. yeah, I love that, and I love that we got back to like the kind of like blue collar aesthetic that Ridley mm-hmm. Scott introduced with the first Alien of like somehow there are these people on like these like multi million dollar vessels that have like signed over seemingly like centuries to decades of their life to space travel that like are just like i'm just here for a check <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. that's the joke i made when zombie five field came back i was like oh yeah he really wants his commission he's like <laughs> hey hey ain't nothing in my contract say that i can't get acid in the face you was guy i know this is a dead-on five field i know it is it's perfect it's perfect thank yeah. you but yeah but like he's just like i don't acid or no you guys are you guys are paying my commission <laughs> Can we talk about the bonus, can we talk about the bonus situation? Yeah. <laughs> Are you asking me? No, that's just uh, oh. the first one. <laughs> that's what he would say. That's the Afik Koto, remember? Can we talk about the bonus? Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was like a nice throwback to that, like that type of character. Oh, for sure, yeah. And young Benedict Wong too was one of his little buddy there. I mean, this is just a this is a very a like cast. stacked hot cast. Like, I'm sorry yeah. to the original Alien cast. You know, young Sigourney, you are swinging way above your weight class here, and even still, they got you beat. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, should we monster it up? Let's monster. All right, so I got uh, I got a breakdown of uh, four creatures here. I want to first kind of say there was a whole lot of creature creature designers and, and effects groups working here. MPC. Weta, Weta Digital, uh, Charlie Henley, Neville Page, Carlos Suente. These are names that we've talked about before in other podcasts. They're all working here. Um, they, for the alien planet, the creatures and the tech, um, Scott asked to the design team to look for something that could logically come before alien, not to rely too heavily on Geiger's original like designs. However, they off all the drawings and concept art end up coming back to like Geiger esque type stuff um, to the point where they ultimately just decided to invite Geiger to come back and actually work <laughs> on the film. So he comes back and he does a lot of the designs. Like we actually see, I feel like the murals are very Geiger esque. And I think he had yes. a big hand in those. When we see the alien xenomorph uh, mural on the wall, I think that I'm honestly like as a canon thing, I think that's a, a point to like, what I would I think some of us have talked about how the aliens are a lot older and they weren't just suddenly created recently by David or something in the future movies, but like that's something like a template that he's been following. I think that they've had him before. Um, anyway, that's something you could argue in a different thing, but yeah. So anyway, this was the fir- the final alien film that Geiger did work on because he died in 2014, sadly. Oh, yeah. But I thought that was uh, that was kind of interesting. He came back to work on this. It's anyway, really felt in a lot of yeah, the design. I think it really is. The, I think the, it's, the helmets, it's cool. the engineer mm-hmm. helmets, like oh, that's yeah. super Geiger. And well, I, that's I like, get that's in the original film too, like that. Right. Yeah. But it it was, a, uh, it's just I am such a fan of that guy's like like R.I.P. to mm-hmm. imagine in terms of like such a like distinct, like cool like world, you know, like it's right up there with like Hellraiser for me of like a very like 
branded like vibe or look or aesthetic like even tim burton would fall under that where it's like you can like really just like carve out a niche for yourself with a look yeah that's a good way to put it yeah um all right monster creature number one that i kind of want to talk about is the hammerpede which is the the like mutated worm creature um there were kind of some indigenous worms that worms that were mutated by the um the, the, goo. The, the goo yeah they have kind of like white gray like translucent translucent skin kind of like that they're kind of cobra like when they're able to open up their uh, their heads with the crest um original script there are more like centipedes apparently changed it up a little bit um the hammerpede was to meant to be a bit of a precursor to the face hugger in a sense um has ascetic blood the uh, behind the scenes element of it. So it what they're pretty much primarily practical effects with just some digital components added in. There were several layers that they created with it from like an external skin to the organs and the muscles. Each layer was actually sculpted and molded separately and assembled onto a final model, which uh, had some mechanical features. Um, they actually made 15 total models of these creatures, uh, each with different pur- purposes. There was one that was a cable controlled model with a full head movement, which could open and close the crest. Uh, there was a puppet that would wrap around Milburn's arm. Uh, another one that was meant to snap a prosthetic arm. Um, but these puppets like had cable operations. Um, they had like segments there to make like, like vertebrae, like segments to make the movements more fluid. Um, it's a again like we talk about it's just like a marvel to watch like how they brought this to life um practically um another cool piece of this so when they find milburn's dead body after the hammerpeed had killed them when they're, the crew goes back to recover the body um the hammerpeed like springs out and goes back in the liquid remember that part yeah yeah they uh, that's another um uh call back to the original alien where Ridley Scott didn't actually tell the actors that that was going to happen. Oh, he's so, a prankster. Yeah. So one of the actors, Kate Dickey, who was one of the doctors, she, her, she has like a really intense scream, which is actually entirely genuine. Nice. It's pretty great. Yeah. Nah. I'm just, <laughs> if I ever walked on a Ridley Scott movie, I put, take it aside. Like Ridley, don't play with me, Ridley. Like, <laughs> don't play with me <laughs> if you're pulling some stuff like it, it could be like a historical movie like no there, like, there couldn't be any monsters in it and i'd be like really don't play but we is, is there is there is there a monster here is something gonna pop out ridley he'd be working harder to get you yeah that's my impression of guy who doesn't want ridley to to scare him sounds about right fair yeah Creature number two, the trilobite, which is the the creature that emerged from Shaw's body, um, originally created after Halloway was infected with the dark liquid, who then and then having sex with Shaw, which infected her too. Um, it is a little more face hugger esque. Um, has kind of the purpose of impregnating a host with an alien creature, as we see in the end, even though it got super big. Um, first, kind of looks like a like a four armed squid, but ended up growing pretty large. I think it ended up having seven tentacles by the end. It looked um, like that thing in the for uh, the Force Awakens. Yeah, the thing that chases uh, them on that on that ship on, in the Han, first on Han's ship. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That, yeah, it, it did kind of like the, the, just some massive tentacles, right? Yeah, but you know, it's just really it's like it's kind of like a testament to like there were times in this movie where like it did go just full on space adventure. You know, it really it's did. Like, yeah, you want a little bit of Guardians? This is how Ridley does it. You know, and like, <laughs> we got like laser blasts and stuff, and like a giant squid monster on a ship, like. We still got a lot of that like popcorn stuff on top of just quality cinema. For sure. So this creature um, has like this pale skin. 
Uh, it was actually inspired by like organisms that are pre- preserved in formaldehyde was kind of what they went off to build this one. Um, when they had the like med pa- the med uh, med bay scene or whatever, they had to make a fake silicon body of uh, Nomi Rapace um, from sh- shoulders down. And the small creature was an animatronic that was wrapped in a condom filled with fake blood. One of the crew members had to puncture the condom with a razor, and this caused the, s- the sack to explode violently. They Which had is, to? Yeah, they, they had, had to. Had to puncture it? Had to. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, well, that's gross yeah um, the the designers were influenced that is kind of a cool fact i think there's a um a comic in 1975 called the long tomorrow that dan o'bannon the original writer of first alien movie wrote and there's a creature that looks like this and so they inspired the design they, they based the design based on that creature in that comic which is kind of fun oh that is fun yeah i like um, that creature i do too and the design was actually done by Neville Page, who we've talked about before. He did like the work on Star Trek Discovery and a bunch of other stuff. Um, and they end up building a full size animatronic with like this complex head for the giant one. Um, but they end up going mostly with the CGI iteration for the final film just to, for like movement's sake. So that's, there was both there, but they mostly stuck with um, CGI in the final product. I do have a cool quote from Neville Page about creating this, though. You want to hear it? No. Yeah. Of course. Of course he, <laughs> he says, quote, we weren't going to do the face hugger and we weren't going to do any kind of metaphor to the first film. But at the same time, this trilobite creature became like the uber metaphor of the face hugger in a way because it's very tentacular in the same way, somewhat sexual. And honestly, when I was done with the quote face of it, it if it even has one and it has the most vulvas that I've ever put into his design, it was, <laughs> it was a celebration of vulvas, really, which seemed appropriate. <laughs> I'm just imagining like Ridley Scott like looking over like drafts of this like more vulvas. <laughs> I'm sure that's how it happened. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He's like these these vulva numbers are not doing it for me, Chief. Yeah. Uh wow, that's that's fun. Um okay, I forgot to mention I said four monsters. There's like a I, I'm gonna say a point five extra monster that I forgot to mention. The five field mutant, the zombie guy that comes back. Oh, zombie guy. Yeah. So this was interesting. This is five field, that character affected by black. Um, he, this is what I wanted to say about it was originally going to be a more monstrous character. Um, so the actor plays the role, like the actor is in makeup and they were going to go over that with CGI and give him like this kind of like elongated head, like monstrous head, which was a little bit evocative of older xenomorph designs. So, um, they were, they kind of thought about it, like almost like reverting to it, like a embryonic form and they called it the baby head design (laughs) to it. So, uh, it's actually, I, you could look up pictures like the disease deleted scenes, I think has the original version in it. Like they made it, but Ridley Scott decided that he'd rather use the more like practical, like element of just the actor and the stunt person, like in prosthetics and, and in makeup to, to do this kind of zombie thing. Um, but I think if, like, if you look it up or Google, like the original five field mutant, it's interesting. It's a very interesting monster design. I mean, the zombie thing we got was really cool. Like, I, did, I like how it was all folded up before they like stands up. Yeah, like mm-hmm. everything about it was like so great, and it just felt like such a like real fun like di- like dive into the horror side of things, and and just I I, I mean it it just it speaks to like one of the big criticisms I had of Resurrection, which is mm-hmm. that like a lot of the stuff they were going through felt like just like, well, another Wednesday on the job as a space pirate (laughs) or like as an employee on a ship full of like 
ethically questionable like docs, like surgeons or whatever it's like scientists um with these people it's like no this is all novel this is all horrifying and like it's literally the mission they're on will make them like rethink the concept of God, let alone the stuff they actually find. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's great stuff to like watch them confront that and like the horrors that come with it. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I agree. Yeah. There's so many, yeah, there's so many interesting layers of things here. Um, Next like creature we have, I'd say is arguably another interesting layer. The, the, the Deacon alien, they called it the Deacon, the alien that pops out of the engineer's chest at the very end. Um, kind of a proto xenomorph, if you will. They refer, they call it a deacon ultimately because it uh, of its the head, the cone head. They kind of felt it looked like like a Catholic bishop or like a deacon. Oh, so that's why. So other more religious undertones. But uh, so this creature is definitely very different from like the traditional kind of xenomorph that we we know and love. Sportier. Um, it's sporty. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a trilobite infecting in an engineer, so with different like mechanics at hand. But it's like a this, Dodge it, Charger. Okay, it's a, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> it threw me off a bit there, but yeah, I, I, I can see it. <laughs> just keep me on your toes. Yeah. Um, anyway, the creature has like blue, more blue, like smooth skin. Like, um, I feel like it stands a little differently. The the mouth is isn't like the jaw that just like comes out. It has like two sets of rows of teeth that are that are very gummy. Um, they have like human teeth. Yeah, it was. It was <laughs> it's like it was, square teeth. It's not even like it's like to like yeah. pierce flesh or anything. Like this, this xenomorph could eat a salad. <laughs> it was gross. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so this creature, the the design, they made it to a full size sculpture, which served as a base, and there were puppets, and they also used a digital mod- model. Um, the creatures birth sequence they used a hollow dummy of the dead engineer and filled internal and with internal organs and then the puppet of the deacon used a rod puppet to like push it out kind of kind of a similar to the original effect in uh the first alien actually um this creature was originally supposed to have more of a presence so like there was a plans to originally have it pop out and then have to like chase shaw and david as they made their way to the the extra ship they were going to go to um I like but Mandela I, affected myself into assuming that that was going to come next. I feel like everybody thinks it has more of a presence than it does. Like it's yeah. a cool, it's a cool scene, but it's, it almost feels like just like an Easter egg, almost just like bonus, like nod rather than anything else, you know, it goes nowhere. <laughs> Spoilers for Covenant. It goes nowhere. Oh no. Yeah. We'd never see it again. <laughs> um, it's actually interesting, like fun fact about the extended universe stuff that those comics that I'd mentioned that follow up Prometheus, they actually were told, I think by Fox not to use the Deacon alien in the comics because they're worried that it might interfere with something Ridley Scott was going to do in, in covenant. So it just, it's nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> it could have had a second life, but no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I, anyway, I'm fine. I'm fine with the, with I don't the Dodge chargers, Xenomorph. I think it's fine. I mean, it's like a weird, unique circumstance, arguably, that just is like this creature and the engineer like meeting, create that thing. So it's fine. Like you don't see it again, I guess. Yeah, it was a fun meet cute. Yeah, exactly. Meet cute. I like <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, so finally, our last kind of creature that we're going to talk about is going to lead us into, I think, our closing out of our conversation and into our interview. It's the engineer itself. Um, Love the engineer. The engineer, our boy. Ian White, who we're going to be talking, who we're talking to here, um, portrays the engineer. There are other actors that play different engineers at different parts, but the ending climax is is all him. 
Uh, and we're going to, there's some interesting insights he, br- he brings to like getting into the character and the makeup. So I won't get too much into that stuff, but um, the, uh, the interesting thing about the engineer, so they're just for descriptive purposes, they're very tall, extremely pale, hairless, like humanoid figures. Um, there was, they look like that hot Squidward meme. <laughs> yeah, fair. Joe, no, Joe knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, just just Google it. <laughs> um, the for for decades there was speculation of what the space jockey creature was that had a chestburster burst out of it in the very first Alien, this giant thing. It, it nothing. It was all speculation. Comics and books would go into it. There was multiple different ideas and canons, and so Ridley Scott himself, I've got a quote for him. Where he says, I kept scaring at the skeleton, which was kind of a wonderful drawing by uh, Geiger. And then I thought 20, 30, 20, actually 26 years on, I thought, what if it's not a skeleton? Because we only see it as a skeleton because of, of our own, the way we see things in our own indoctrination. What if it's another form of protection or a suit? If it's a suit, then what's inside the suit? So his thoughts on like this creature, which, you know, had this like elephant trunk and like this Geiger-esque design everyone thought that that was the look of the creature and Ridley had this idea like what if that's just like a suit and then it's just not something we would comprehend to be a suit and there's something else inside of it which is kind of like where his ideas for what the engineers like ultimately became and how he was able to interrogate the series that way um so that was a a very controversial decision like a lot of fans were pissed because they had their own headcanons their own thoughts they thought of this thing as like eldritch horror you know like weird otherworldly kind of creature when and then now it's like fairly intrinsically tied to humanity right it's like evocative of like a godlike it's tied kind of to humanity being. and like yeah. a, a good way though the whole I'm like with, I'm with you khalid i yeah. think it's good i think it's good I just i'm just saying that was a very controversial thing at the time like people some people really still don't like what they did and i, I think i think ultimately it's fine like i like where the engineers have gone in the franchise i'm interested to learn more about them um and I, again i think that's just, that was the way that it upped the horror like this idea of our creator and like them not caring for us like was a, a way to like go further with this horror element of it so and i think it's just a lot to ask for like a franchise to simultaneously create like the mind-bending like amazingness that is the xenomorphs and also another mind-bending like creature design it's just like how many like one like once in a lifetime designs <laughs> are we gonna ask of these people <laughs> yeah Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, one other piece I wanted to talk about the engineer before we uh, let uh, our conversation with Ian, Ian happen. But um, in the early draft of the script, there was dialogue between this engineer and David that was like nearly five pages long. And uh, it was revealed. They talk about the engineers creating the human race. Um, and there is parts where the engineer was supposed to say that something about the humans were barbaric, violent species. And he mentions a mother's child being taken back to be taught the meaning of life and creation or to educate the human race in on earth. But the humans decided to punish him, which is hints that like Jesus was meant to be like some sort of like engineer envoy. And then the death was like, what was a disappointment what? I was them. not expecting that to be. Uh-huh. It was supposed to be a Jesus thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. What do you think of that? I don't know, man. That was like year zero. Give us like a couple years to figure stuff out. <laughs> Right. So anyway, that was cut. That's not really fair. <laughs> yeah. That was an idea. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's really funny because like I'm we're we're famously in our Jesus year right now. And that's just I don't know, like the idea of like a bunch of aliens like plucking a thirty-three year old dude off the earth to like <laughs> defend humanity. I just 
<laughs> it couldn't be me. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> and that's my take. <laughs> and that's Khalid's. Khalid's take. Khalid's corner. <laughs> oh man, that was fun yeah. though. That was yeah. Uh, I I did love the shout out. Like even if we hadn't talked to Ian, like the the engineers were like some of my favorite like lore in this mm-hmm. franchise to date it's such a cool concept i love everything with their technology the like the like soft boiled egg buttons the yeah oh that was cool yeah that like how those work um the holograms the ship design uh, the holograms that are like ghosts mm-hmm. like they that was cool. ghost holograms that's so cool because it's like who's recording that and then <laughs> like who's like decides like oh now's a good time to play the ghost hologram <laughs> like I doubt like everybody was like running and like quick. Let's make sure we get this hallway. <laughs> like <laughs> it's it's I, and I love it. It's like they don't explain it. It's obviously like a contrivance to give us a cool visualization of what happened, but it works. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like great. it's it's cool like little bits of detail that don't mm-hmm. give us too much of this species and like doesn't ruin it for us. Yeah. No, yeah. it's it's great. I think, yeah. I I mean, I like the movie quite a bit. I think you're you're selling me even more on it a little bit, and like rewatchability and the value of that, and like just the value it brings to the franchise. It's it's a, it's a cool it's a cool thing, and really, I mean, it's a special movie. Like like we talked about, it's a very unique entry into a franchise a franchise entry. Like you don't see things like this a lot, and it's super cool. Um, but anyway, yeah, Khalid, we should wrap it up and and hop over to our, our interview, huh? Hop hop hop. Let's do it. Yeah. So um, before we go, though, just one quick announcement. Um, and since we had that long break between our Alien, our Xenomania three and four episodes, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil you all, listeners, a little bit. We're gonna have this one come out uh, on whatever day you're listening to it. The uh, <laughs> Covenant episode will be one week after this episode, so we're gonna we're gonna instead of the biweekly or the every other week, we're gonna release it earlier uh, to get it to you guys sooner. So. Um, Look for our Covenant episode coming real soon as well. It should be. It's another fun one. More episodes because we love you. Yeah. And uh, Xenomania, Xenomania will go on beyond Covenant. And uh, I'll leave it at that. Wait. What will you leave it on? Xenomania episodes will go beyond our Covenant one. So. Oh. Oh. Okay. Kind of like a little intrigue. Okay. A little intrigue. I, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, thanks what, for thanks for playing that with me, Khalid. What he said. Yeah. Uh, wow. Sorry, yeah. Joe. I really derailed it. Good good recovery? No, it wasn't. No, as bad. it wasn't. I took the wind right out those sails. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, right. buddy. Let's talk, yeah. let's go talk to Ian. Yeah. <laughs> All right, stay tuned and listen to our interview with Mr. Ian White. Creep you shortly. Ian White, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the podcast. Uh, it, I know it's been a journey to get you here, and uh, so we appreciate your time. Oh, well, thank you very much for inviting me. Um, before we kind of dig into some specifics of your like career, I have just like a, a few kind of questions I ask, I tend to ask all of our guests on the podcast. Um, one, one of the things I'm kind of intrigued for your answer here, since you're kind of a creature actor or like a monster actor. Uh, I always like to ask where monster podcasts, like in any kind of corner of pop culture or like movies, shows or anything like that. Uh, do you have a favorite monster that you've seen or perhaps it's one that you've played? My favorite monster yeah. is probably Count Dracula. Ooh, good choice. 
I grew up watching, um, you know, the uh, classic Hammer horror films. Uh, my next door neighbor was one of the first guys on the street to have a VHS video recorder, and he used to record Hammer uh, horror movies late at night. I used to go around this after watching against my parents' wishes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Do you have a favorite iteration of Dracula, uh, our actor that's played? Uh, well, yeah, uh, Christopher Lee. Yeah, that's a good and also, I didn't, and also um, uh, Klaus Kinski, uh, Werner Herzog's uh, Nosferatu Die Vampire is probably still my favorite uh, Dracula film. It is chilling even now, and it was it's what fifty years old. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a good. He's a he's a fascinating actor. Yeah, that's a good choice. Um, I gotta ask, did you see the new one? Uh, was it Renfield with Nicolas Cage's Dracula? <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> I haven't seen that yet either, but I want to. I know he's he's trying to channel those those uh, those actors too. <laughs> I ha I have seen it. It's very very ridiculous, but uh, Cage's uh, Dracula is very fun to behold. Good, good. <laughs> Nicolas Cage is fun to behold, no matter what he does. Truly, we are in agreement. Yeah. <laughs> um my other question for you that i tend to ask all our guests is um we all kind of consider ourselves geeks on this podcast or things find have things that we're really geeky about like what do you think uh you find yourself to be most geeky about like what are you like oh i could just really like go down a rabbit hole on this one thing um i i I don't know. I spend so much of my time doing other things. I, I, I kind of tend to forget about uh, geekiness. You know? <laughs> um, there was a topical conversation. Um, the, the, the new Indiana Jones movie, which I have not seen, you know, and quite often, not just now, but quite often, you know, you see polls on social media saying, oh, what's, which is the best Indiana Jones movie? And... Um, my opinion, the best Indiana Jones movie isn't called an Indiana Jones movie. Hmm. And that is the mic drop moment. Is <laughs> of course my the lost ark. <laughs> if you're not keeping up. Um but uh no, I I, I find it very difficult to, to to descend down rabbit holes about uh, anything because they'd be like, oh I need to do I need to do this or I need to do that. Or I need to do something else. <laughs> and various other distractions in life. Oh, completely understandable. Yeah, um, I guess yeah, I, I, will, I will actually come up with a better answer, probably <laughs> further down the podcast. Just you know, and that's also how my mind works. You know, I'd be like, oh, remember yeah. that question you asked me <laughs> forty-five minutes ago? Here's the answer. <laughs> What's life without a few distractions? Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's. <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose. All right. Yeah. Let's get into. Let's get into it then, uh, Khalid. I think you got the first question on our list. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, Ian, thank you again for joining us. This is such an exciting discussion. I guess for my first question out the gate, I wanted to ask, you've had the opportunity to be a part of like some really great franchises, you know, you've uh, aside from obviously the alien predator universe, which is what we got you here to talk about. You've also been in Star Wars uh, and or and the Force Awakens, Harry Potter, Game of Thrones, Robert Eggers, the Northman. I mean, I, I just have to ask off top, is there any role or franchise that you are particularly proud of that like you had the chance to be a part of that world? Um, 
<laughs> Read that list again. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, J- Joe is nice enough to compile the list for me, but we've got Star Wars, both Andor and The Force Awakens. We've got Harry Potter, Game of Thrones, and Robert Eggers, The Northman, to name a few. And that's not even including an Aliens, uh, a Predator franchise. Sure, sure. Uh, I don't think Robert Eggers is 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 uh, uh, the Northman is going to is going to be um, a continuing franchise. It <laughs> <laughs> would be amazing. Not a lot of lunchboxes um, for that. <laughs> I think you you know when um, you, you know all these things, all, all these magnificent franchises, you know they really were pinch me moments, uh, and you know it's it's really. It's fun to you know hang on to your you know your gratitude and your um, uh, you know enjoyment of these things. You know, uh, I've got a son who's who's twelve years old, and you know, and, and I've watched him enjoy uh, these movies. You know, the Harry Potter films, the uh, you know the Star Wars movies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, and I'm not the only one. You know, there are parents uh, all over the world who are right now sitting their children down in front of either a Harry Potter movie or a Star Wars film or something else. And kids are like are going, wow, what is this? Show me more. And there's the beauty of these amazing franchises because they find a new audience every single year, you know, with every, with every passing generation. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a joy to be a part of. It really is. Um, if I have to pick just one, if you're putting a gun to my head, um, <laughs> I think... Um, uh, the uh, um, Harry Potter when in, you know the ones that I did uh, Goblet of Fire that was the that was the film where the ages of the actors uh, started to align very very closely with the ages of the characters that they were playing and of course that's where the fun began you know because we had these um uh, the visiting schools, you know, the Beaubaton, they were all uh, magnificent dancers from the West End, the uh, the Durmstrangs, they were all these magnificent martial artists from literally all over the world. And, you know, we had uh, uh, schools um, that were coming in, they were playing the, uh, you know, the children from uh, Hogwarts. And it was just an amazing, amazing, fun experience from beginning to end. Uh, Star Wars, you know, when the phone call came through for you know for being involved in Star Wars, it's just like, okay, where do you want me? <laughs> where do you want me? When? <laughs> Say the word, you know, you know, and it's it's gonna it's gonna run and run, you know, and we'll all be long gone by the time they've exhausted, you know, the Star Wars franchise. It'll just keep going. Uh, you know, to say you've been a part of something that's so big is, you know, is it still puts us, it does still put us one in my face. I have to be honest. I mean, yeah, these are like cultural, like landmarks at this point that you get to say that you're a part of. That's got to feel really great. That's yeah. a tiny part, but you know, it does put us <laughs> one in my face. So, <laughs> you know, it's nice to do unique things. It really is. That's so nice to hear. Um, kind of on the other side of that coin, are there any like part? I, I look in the IMDb page. You have quite a few few credits, but is there any parts that you're not not part of a franchise or a smaller role that you kind of wish more people had seen, or you'd like to talk about more sometimes? 
Um, yeah. Oh my God. There was a, a movie, uh, a, um, a fantasy film I did many, many years ago called Solomon Kane, hmm. which was based on the writing of uh, Robert E. Howard. And I read this when I was a kid. And when I found out uh, that it was going to production, uh, I, I got in, in, in touch with the director. And I said, <laughs> you know, I'd really like to be part of the movie and really, uh, if there's any kind of, you know, uh, monsters that you like to bring to life, please please get in touch. That's and awesome. I'm in the film. <laughs> <laughs> awesome that it worked out though i've actually seen solomon kane that was i went through a kick where i was really into like 80s fantasy i got in the conan films and i, and I found yeah. solomon king through that that rabbit hole and i was like oh this is this is this is phenomenal it's like those yeah. old classic movies with like modern effects it was it was a lot of fun it's got a fantastic cast and it's a great story and the um and what's the point i was gonna make um and yeah it was it was you know i i I've often referred to it as the best fantasy movie nobody's ever seen. Because it's got a very limited, it's got a very limited uh, cinematic release, and it's one of those movies which has just, you know, has developed a small cult following. Yeah, yeah. Well, it should have, should have, it should have been something a lot bigger. Agreed. Well, hearing you talk about it, maybe if you know some people on the podcast, just a few more people hear about it, maybe they'll get a little bit more <laughs> more love here. <laughs> Um, all right, bringing it back into a little bit more of the like popular discourse of some of your more popular works, uh, Game of Thrones. I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan, so I do have to ask. Um, you've played a few roles, you played the mountain, uh, for a little bit, you played uh, a giant named One One, which was one of my faves, and you've played a White Walker. I gotta ask, um, out of those roles like was there one that you enjoyed more than the others like can you walk us through like what it was like coming back each time in such different contexts well my favorite character was one one absolutely you know he was the uh, uh it was the very first time that we'd seen uh one of these aloof semi-savage characters display anything approaching you know humanity and I think that's the beauty of the storytelling that they gave uh, this character that opportunity to have this this story, you know, be the hero of his own story. And um, yeah, I was watching uh, it. I was watching the show, uh, the episode when he dies, and um, my wife nudged me on the sofa and she said, "Have you seen your uh, your Twitter page?" Oh. <laughs> <laughs> People were sending me messages saying they were in tears because I died and I had absolutely no idea, none at all, about wow. how popular he was. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be a nice feeling, knowing that like you had like a small character, but it's it's still like made an impact like it did. Yeah, I, I think every death in Game of Thrones has made an impact in in some way or, an, or another. You know, uh, again... Um, watching Game of Thrones with, with my wife. Um, it took us four years to get into Game of Thrones, actually, because it, mm. um, it uh, corresponded with the birth of our son. And mm. um, so I always joked that uh, the, the, the reason why it took me so long to get involved in Game of Thrones, watching Game of Thrones, was because it wasn't on children's television. <laughs> I get that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we were watching the very first episode, and uh, I had read some of the stories, not all, all of them, and um, 
we're watching a very close episode and uh, 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 Stark is kneeling in front of the chopping block and he's laying his head down and uh, the sword is about to come down and I'm looking at my wife and I'm looking at the TV show and I'm looking at my wife and looking at my TV show and looking at my wife and the, the scream from her when, when <laughs> the sword came down uh, was unbelievable. It was like, you knew, you knew about that and you didn't tell me. <laughs> it would have ruined the whole thing. <laughs> um, and, uh, okay, so one one's your favorite. Um, w- can you tell us a little bit about, like, at least, like, playing, like, a White Walker? Was it, like, just more involved in terms of, like, the makeup uh, that you had to sit in for or how... How did that compare to just like coming in and playing someone like one one, which is still a little closer to like just like regular human features? Well, the White Walker uh, that I played in uh, episode one, series one, episode one, uh, very little makeup effects. It was a pull-on mask. Mm. Uh, they hadn't um, developed the characters as much as they as much as they became to be developed uh, throughout uh, throughout uh, the you know the whole tale uh so it was just a very uh, rudimentary uh, skin tight bodysuit a uh, pull on mask and we were running through um a snow covered uh snow covered forest um at the end of summer uh, in um uh, around belfast and uh, yeah, it was the second beheading of the show, if memory serves me correctly. So if you hadn't, if you, if you hadn't read anything about Game of Thrones or weren't familiar with it, then that would give you some idea of what to expect going down the line. <laughs> five, five minutes into the show, two people have already lost their heads. <laughs> and then uh, series two, uh, I uh, stepped into the shoes of the mountain. Uh, very briefly, a few episodes there, and it wasn't until series three that I started playing uh, the uh, the giants. And it was by then that they were now bringing in uh, the um, heavy makeup effect for not only the giants, but for the uh, the White Walker and uh, many other characters. Is there a specific draw to playing like the kind of like creature monster characters for you? Uh, is there has there been any part of you that wants to play more human characters? Um, yes, I'd love to play more human characters. The draw to playing these, uh, shall we say, non-human characters mm-hmm. is the uniqueness of it all. Mm-hmm. If I if I have to put it into a nutshell. You know, it's it's doing something that is completely unique and totally memorable. I agree. I think that's why we love talking about monsters and creatures and the non-human elements on our podcast so much. It's a draw for us, too. But my approach to uh, non-human characters and human characters is usually exactly the same. Mm-hmm. You know, you've still got to get into their heads and understand how they're thinking, you know, understand how they live their lives. Yeah. So, um, 
a thing that, about uh, doing this monster podcast with Joe for as long as I've done it now is that um, even though he's kind of more familiar with the world of like creature effects and like performers and stuff like that, it's only just now starting to be familiar with me where I start to see names coming up again all the time. Like Doug Jones is a common name that has come up as far as performers that work with creature effects. Um, and I guess I'm just curious as somebody that has like made a career out of it like yourself, is there... Is there a community for performers like yourselves that like, do you guys know each other outside of the work you do? And like, do you like lean on each other? Is there any kind of network there for yourself? I, uh, if, if we want it to be, I mean, I, I know Doug Jones, uh, not to uh, call him up and say, hi Doug, how's it going? <laughs> but no, I, I know who he is and uh, very infrequently our paths cross i suppose that makes sense i mean more often than not you guys are probably like going for the same characters or at least like if there is one creature in a movie it's like you're all going for it so you wouldn't necessarily be like on set together (laughs) Uh, to be honest you know there's you know room for us all within the industry (laughs) there really is that's nice. That's nice. Not it's Good not it's not a fierce competition or anything. <laughs> no, no, there's no fierce competition. <laughs> Starting to dig in a little bit to the the Alien franchise since that's kind of been our topic lately. Um, I was intrigued by kind of your story, like coming. It sounds like you were a you were a basketball player for many years before, and then you were kind of uh, brought into the acting world uh, through Alien versus Predator. So one of your one, if not your actually first acting role is the predator is that correct that is absolutely correct that's i'm just so curious like was it exciting daunting a little bit of both for like kind of an iconic creature to be like your first big role yeah it was absolutely terrifying (laughs) yeah i um uh, i was very aware of the uh, weight of responsibility on my shoulders Uh, you know it had been 10 years since uh predator 2 and this was the first time we were going to see the alien and the predator uh, in the same film. So, yeah, it was a big responsibility. And I was uh, very, very uh, adamant and honest with myself that I needed to do a good job. Uh, so I I trained uh, physically um, and went through the movies frame by frame, trying to extrapolate, you know, nuances of, of performance that... You know the the predator, the previous predator characters uh, displayed. You know things that I could use in my own performance. And I had some great mentors. You know Tom Woodruff and Anik Gillis, the um, uh, the creature uh, designers. You know they were you know so instrumental in, in in how good this film is, in how good my performance was because. They'd been there and they'd done it. And Tom Woodruff is a performer in his own right. He's the alien. You know, so to have those guys uh, on set every day, you know, was invaluable. Somebody who I could say, listen, am I doing this right? What would work in this situation? You know, uh, because um, uh, Kevin Bill Hall couldn't be there. You know, I couldn't uh, bore him every single day with mm. with my questions about how to perform the predator. You know, but you know, having these guys there, you know, uh, you know, Oscar winning um, 
future effect designers was just you know an amazing experience and did that change i know you played it in um you you played the alien in both uh alien versus predators right so you I played both... the predator in both or you played... versus predator movies. <laughs> <laughs> or sorry sorry yes the predator <laughs> um but um you played uh what were the names again it was a uh, scar and um what was the other name again, Joe? Sorry. I think it it's Wolf, Wolf, right? Yeah, Wolf. Wolf. Yeah. yeah. So in playing Scar and Wolf, like going from one movie to the next, like uh did did anything change or did you like evolve on the on the role in any way? Well, yeah, they're completely different characters. As, uh, if you cast your mind back, um, they both die at the end okay. of the films. Uh, uh the um the uh what's his name? Uh, Scar, you know. I I wanted to you go mad trying to uh figure out how an alien thinks. Okay? <laughs> how an alien communicates with itself. But I'm a human. So I know how humans <laughs> think, at least I know how I think. Okay. So I would like to put these characters into a human context, like to humanize them. Um, by humanize them, I don't mean make them cuddly. <laughs> but put them into a human context. So the predators in AVP, they are, are warriors. At least I imagine them to be warriors. Warriors exist. So now I'm thinking about what it takes to be a warrior. Okay, I studied martial arts. Um, I, you know, um, understand it from that uh, perspective. But so now I'm thinking about how a kind of a a, um, a society, a, a warrior caste of a society might treat their uh, um, young warriors when they're going to have some kind of, you know, you know rite of passage, so to speak, which is basically the storyline of, of AVP. So now I'm thinking about that kind of uh, thought process and that kind of life that they've had up until this point. Fascinating. And the wolf, the wolf, I may, I kind of, I, I approached the wolf. He, it was called the wolf because he was supposed to be based on Harvey Keitel's character in uh, Pulp oh, Fiction. Winston I had no idea. He's <laughs> so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's the cleaner. He comes in to clean up the mess. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and as a result, he's, he, he also leaves a trail of bodies um, in his wake. So, you know, I wanted him to be, you know, this kind of um, not so much short-tempered, but very worldly, universally uh, experienced um, character. You know, he's got uh, grizzled uh, facial features, you know, a uh, missing tusk, probably as a result of a battle with a, a previous a previous alien. So now I've got that experience to put into his uh, into his story, I like that. Which, I, which I again think... <laughs> makes it a more believable character. Yeah, no, I like that. I like. I, I think more creatures should be based after Harvey Keitel characters. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that that just seems like such an easy dot to connect. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. Um, jumping over to your role in Prometheus, uh, so. So you did the predator there. You play the engineer in Prometheus, or one of the engineers that we see. Um, so 
for me, I've always found this character, the kind of creature to be fascinating because there's such uh, the makeup, the, uh, the, the prosthetics are so cool and kind of realistic and really, I think, unique. Um, what was kind of the process of getting into all of that? Um, up at 2.30 every morning. Uh, luckily, I, I was uh, staying at a hotel just around the corner from Firebrand Studios. So it was a five-minute journey straight into the makeup chair. Um, five and a half hours of uh, prosthetics and costuming, ready to go by about 8.30, 9 o'clock. Wow. And I, um, yeah, you know, Conor O'Sullivan and his team, they worked absolute magic to recreate perfection every single day for months. They are artists and geniuses. They really, really are. And I mean, it was, yeah. I mean, such an amazing, uh, an amazing character. For a while, I heard that a lot of people thought it was CGI because it looked so perfect. <laughs> That's got to be a nice but compliment. No. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, were there any scenes in Prometheus that were like pretty fun for you to perform, or conversely, were there any that were just like a challenge, like you just like were like dreading it, or like you were just glad it was over with? Um, that's, that's, I think that's the hardest scene was hopping up into the um, uh, in, in, into the uh. The flight chair, the engineer's mm. flight chair, because um, there were no actual steps going up uh, uh, into, into it. So I had to kind of make steps out of the, uh, you know, see steps within the design of the um, uh, of the piece of, of of the set piece. And I, I forget how many times we did it. Just it was only a couple, you know, but you know, I, I managed to get it. Uh, I managed to create a way to get into this thing without actually looking like a complete, <laughs> complete. <artist. laughs> One of the things I thought was kind of interesting um, about Prometheus, I was reading that there was like a linguist on hand to help with the, like the language the engineer had to speak. Um, yeah, so did I, you? He's in the film. Oh, he's in the uh, film. I, I forget his name. Oops, sorry, just knocked my um, not my tripod. Um, yeah, he's in the film. Uh, right at the beginning of the movie, there's a scene where uh, uh, David, um, Michael Fassbender's character, yeah, is learning the uh, the language, learning the, the alien language. There's a hologram of his uh, linguist. Oh, who's teaching him? He is the uh, the learned professor who uh designed the alien language mm. damn that's really cool that's super cool and uh, i met him uh i had a very short meeting with him a couple of hours uh just to go through the uh you know the finer points the um the inflections and the clicks etc etc but um yeah the first piece of dialogue they gave me to practice was um uh was a practice piece and it was the monologue from Blade Runner translated wow. into the alien speak. And uh, <laughs> as soon as I saw it, I burst into tears because, <laughs> you know, it, it, it has names in it that weren't, um, uh, that weren't translated, like uh, uh, Ten Hounds the Gate or Sea uh, Beams. And as soon as I saw these things, I, I literally burst into tears. I went back to the producer and said, listen, can you just give me 
the actual speech that I'm going to do. The actual lines that I'm going to do. <laughs> because this is Blade Runner, and every time I read it, I read it in the voice of Rodger Hauer, and I cry. <laughs> and they're like, yes, 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 you've got a point, you've got a point. There. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, so I guess uh, you know Blade Runner, uh, you know Alien. Uh, how does it feel like to have worked with Ridley Scott, what was that like to finally get to be able to do that? Well, it was, you know, it was, it was again one of those pinching moments. He really was a genius and an artist and a gentleman. You know, he's such a magnificent filmmaker, has such an amazing legacy, so much joy and wonder to the world through through his uh, through his filmmaking. It was an absolute. It's a joy to make Prometheus to bring it to bring this, which was an idea in his head for thirty odd years before we brought it to the screen. Mm. You know, another one of those smile moments. <laughs> Something I special. Get it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I. I believe you said that uh, in in past interviews you've been a fan of like the alien predator world, right? Uh, yes. So um, with Prometheus, I know that there was a lot of expectations riding on Ridley Scott coming back to the franchise, and I know um, it was a surprise for fans, and I'm sure some people consider it controversial. But to find out like what the space jockey actually looked like, the engineer that that uh, that that piece was a mask that they were wearing or a suit. Um, as a fan, when you came into the role or you came into the script and then you you kind of learn that like before everybody else, right? Like this is what the engineer looks like. This is what the space jockey looked like underneath that mask that we see in the derelict ship in the first alien film. Um, did you have like thoughts on that? Were you like, whoa, this is surprising or, oh, this is what it is. Or, or are you just kind of like, I'm, it's really Scott. I'm ready to roll with it. Yeah, pretty much that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I think the most in, if if the film achieved uh, anything, it, it I think it achieved the impossible. It divided really Scott fans from Alien fans. Yeah, and um, I think uh, um, there's a scene. I, I think the most important scene in the movie is when we realise that he's not a god. When uh, Wayland wants to meet, who has a god complex himself, wants to meet his maker before he dies, finds this character and uh, assumes that he's a god. We are creators, you and I. We are gods. He's got more in common with um, he's got more in common with um, uh, Idris Elba's character, the pilot of the spaceship, than anything else. That's what he is. He's, he's, <laughs> pilot. he's not a god. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a, I hadn't even considered it in that way. I'd always considered it more in that, like the engineers think of them as like animals or whatever. But if it's really more about like neither of us are gods, like I'm just a pilot. <laughs> like, yeah, that's that's, like, that's actually really fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. So you've played the predator. You've played an engineer. Uh, do you have any ambitions on like kind of getting the hat trick here and like playing a xenomorph one day? <laughs> uh, no, I don't. I don't, see, um, I, <laughs> uh, I don't think that's going to happen. 
I mean, eh, you never say never, you know, <laughs> you've got a, you've got an impressive <laughs> roster at this point. It's very kind of you to say so. Yes, you're absolutely right. Never say never, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, <laughs> I'm, st- I'm, st- I'm still kicking myself that I never got a chance to uh, play uh, the Master Chief in Halo. Oh. We had that. We had that movie ready to go, and uh, and it was um, it was cancelled. Yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah. Anyway, I'm glad it's happening for somebody else. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. a great story. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. I'm actually currently watching through that show right now. I'm on like episode eight or something. So it's interesting you bring that up. Yeah, it, I remember hearing the long fraught process of it becoming trying to become a movie and getting canceled it's a that's a bummer i think 2006 we had it yeah. ready to go and uh, it's oh, going to be shot it's going to be it's going to be produced by wingnut films uh, uh michael uh, not michael um uh, peter jackson was, oh, yeah, that's was, right was going to produce and who was going to direct it was going to be neil blomkamp that's right wow yeah i wow that that time period with that team would have been something to behold. Yeah, he's a great director. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. He almost made an alien movie too. Yes, yes, I heard that as well. Yeah, that was kind of in the works for a while, and then kind of got canceled. There's a lot of yeah, Neil Blomkamp. Uh, he's very like open about the projects that he's working on that kind of end up getting canceled too. I know I'm sure a lot of directors don't <laughs> openly talk about that, but it's it's kind of a fascinating like peek behind the curtain in a sense. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, Ian, we won't take up too much more of your time. Um, uh, the last thing I kind of wanted to just ask before we wrap things up though, is um, are there any projects that you're working on now or that you have upcoming that you're really excited that you want maybe people listening to, uh, be on the lookout for or to check out when they come out? Yes. So I've got one project that I've just wrapped on, uh, which I can't tell you a single thing oh. about. <laughs> but I can tell you about the project I worked on last year, which should be out later this year. It's called Year Two. It is a post-apocalyptic werewolf film starring uh, Frank Grillo. Uh, creature effects by Alec Gillis. Yes. And wow. we shot that movie last summer. And hopefully it should be out later this year. That sounds like a black. I'm a. I like Frank Grillo. He's a good like, like one of those sort of like action stars for those kinds of movies that that you see. I, I'm a. I'm a fan of his work lately, and that's super exciting to hear a werewolf movie. Yes, totally yeah? stuff because it's a it's a werewolf movie. The script was amazing, uh, yeah. and it has a a, a, a um, an important moral question at the heart of it, hmm. and that's all hmm. I'm going to tell you about about it. All right. Do you know? Do you have a release date? <laughs> I don't, unfortunately. No. All right. Well, we'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll keep an eye out. We'll put a link to it uh, in our notes here. Um, is there any, um, I guess, what would I say, socials or things that social media that you want to plug or tell anyone to find you on? Uh, well, I'm I'm on social media. I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram. Um, I don't do very much with it. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. Yeah. <laughs> but look me up if you feel like it. All right. Well, truly, truly, thank you so much, Ian. This was uh, really enlightening. Having, I mean, we're like I said, we're watching through the Alien franchise, watching Prometheus. It's it's just like uh, a complete privilege to be able to talk to somebody who was there on set to get that insight. So, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, sit down with us. My absolute pleasure. Thank you, Ian. Yeah, thank you. Everything Joe said, I uh, reflect ten times. It was great talking to you. This is such a great discussion. Thank you. Well, lovely talking to you guys. Yeah. Um, 
again uh, yeah thanks again but uh yeah <laughs> you, um yeah yeah we usually have a normal way we end these after like a discussion of like a movie or something like that but okay. I mean, should, I, should i just do that here too joe <laughs> if you want to khalid <laughs> all right well uh thank you to everybody at home that listened again thank you to ian for coming on and talking with us and until next time creep it easy